Hey, everybody, this is Aaron Blaze, and you are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. And I, you know, I've just had such a great time today, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Thanks. that it's schlock some of the time uh and then you know it's like it's like the day-to-day slog where it's like one day i'll think that i'm a genius and then the next day i'm just like i am a total fraud i have (laughs) no idea what i'm doing this book is trash yeah you know and and to an extent it's just like doing it like you sort of have to force yourself to do it because you can't really know whether it's trash or not until you have until you have something in your hand that you can read. Exactly. Um, like page, really page to page, I think. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Hold on. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast, facebook.com slash Podcast, Twitter at the GBB Podcast, and in your ears right now. Now, Hello. now, now. On Sunday, Sun- I feel like an an announcer. <laughs> we, we say this a lot, but you really do need to get there and do some post-production, like sound effects. Yep. Okay. We'll yeah, do we it. never we never do it. I would I love to have a sound every week. You do something. Co- yeah. There you go. Do you know what I mean? That we can hit and go to during during interviews. Like if somebody says something funny, like a guest we're interviewing says something that's not funny, have it be like wah, wah, wah. that could be a little. <laughs> we could. <laughs> I don't know about that. Come on. That trombone. Yeah. <laughs> that would be really funny. <laughs> So this week on the podcast, we have an interview coming up. But first, if you follow Jamie on social media at all, and I'm not sure if you do, if you don't, why aren't you <laughs> on Twitter? I have followers, so I, I, I doubt many people yeah. follow <laughs> He has posted this week, him and some of the Geek Dads are playing a new, is it new? A role-playing game. I'm not sure if it's new or not. Uh, it's a couple years old at this point. Yeah? Well, yeah, it looks pretty awesome. Uh, Fantasy Flight Games got the Star Wars license for, um, well, I don't know, they do a ton of Star Wars games, but for the role-playing games. Um, and the first one that they made was called Edge of the Empire. They have two more, I think, now. Age of Rebellion and, I don't know, something else. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember the third one. is, But, yeah, so I am a total role-playing game newbie. Like, right. I, that's not part of my you know story like when I, I was never like that kid who was like sitting in my parents basement right you know, so you weren't games. the kids on stranger things basically I, well in many <laughs> ways i was but i was okay. not those kids sitting around playing dungeons and dragons right. i just never did that <laughs> I, like and i don't know why because i grew up prime time for it you know early mid 80s but right. it was just friends that was not something that we did i, I think you know what it was nintendo yeah me too that, that's 100 percent you know, is we 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 were like the perfect age for when Nintendo first came yeah. out, and that's what we had. And so we we spent every waking hour playing Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Whereas just a few years before, kids were sitting around a table making you know characters and fighting demons, actually being creative. <laughs> exactly. So I have 
been desperate. I don't know why recently, but I've just I've, I've been desperate to get into a game and I've just I want to have the experience and see what it's all about because right. I've never done it before. But I don't know that many people around here who A would be interested right. and B would have the kind of time to commit to it. So, thanks to the wonders of technology, um a bunch of the other geek dad contributors um we're all we're all interested and so we threw together a game basically and we're gonna we're playing over uh google hangouts which apparently has a whole bunch of really rad plugins i had awesome. no idea so like they have dice rolling plugins so you don't even need dice oh, and wow. but but it's like the game has really special dice that are specific to the star wars game mm-hmm. with special symbols and gotcha. everything and there are somebody wrote plugins to roll those dice so okay. it's perfect for the game so there are Jeez, I want to say that there are nine of us. So one of them, one guy is being the game master, and then there are eight players, which is huge. Um, it's way too many to play at once. So <laughs> we're going to have to, I don't know how we're going to work it, because realistically, all eight people are not going to be able to play every week at the same time. So right. we're going to probably have to have some kind of like subgroups. Um, but we're just starting out. We've just all created our characters. Um, and I think this weekend we're going to, we're going to have our first sit down, our first campaign. And we've been playing with the idea of live streaming. You should totally, I was just about to say that you should totally live stream and record it and we can put it up on YouTube. Yeah, because totally, you know, whatever geek dad can put it up, whoever. (laughs) Exactly. And you know, I I was thinking about it and you know, it's not unprecedented. You know, we, we had Laura Bailey on, um, on, I don't know, way back when, And, you know, she's part of um, Critical Role on Geek and Sundry and the Will Wheaton show, what is a Titan's Grave or something. And yeah. that's basically all they are. Critical Role especially is just like a bunch of voice actors is what they are. But it's a bunch of people sitting around a table playing a role-playing game and like, they just put the camera on them. Like they right. don't do any sort of special effects or graphics or mm-hmm. anything. It's just them. And um, I think it could be fun, if, you know. So we'll see. I think we're gonna run through the first one, get a lot of the kinks out, right? And then, uh, and then we might we might end up doing that. You should totally do that. Stay tuned. If they do do it, we will put a link somewhere for it. Yeah. As or- a as a teaser, my character, I am playing a female Twi'lek. No way. Awesome. Yeah, so I, I created. She's a yeah. She's a female Twi'lek. That's, um, a, that's a very cool choice. <laughs> I've got a whole backstory for her. I've got she's got a name. Um, I tried to be that guy, and I reached out to Leland Chi on Twitter to give me a last name, but he right. wouldn't do it. Oh man! Totally oh come like, on! Yeah, he's like Wikipedia is your best friend. He would at least he responded to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Why wouldn't he give you a last? Uh, yeah, whatever. I said I said give me a name. Here's my first name. Give me a surname, and he wouldn't do it. It's like I'm not doing your work for you, man. No, because I can. Care, I I know exactly why. Because if he gave me a last name on Twitter for my stupid uh, role playing okay. character, people everybody would be asking him. Leave yeah. a name, my character. Yeah, that's why he did. Or that. a rumor would start that this was a new character in the next episode. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Probably uh, not a exactly. smart idea. All you right. Can. <laughs> well, that sounds fun. Look forward to a link if they do it. We'll let you know. We'll keep you updated. We'll definitely let you know. And this week we have another fantastic interview. Jamie, why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, again, where were you, Justin? Gone. I was Gone. probably washing my car. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is another Justinless episode. Uh, I talked to Benjamin Frisch, who is a relatively new author, artist, cartoonist, take your pick. Um, he's got a, his first book out. It's called The Fun Family. And in a nutshell, what it, it's a graphic novel. And uh, if you guys are at all familiar with the, the Family Circus newspaper strip, Justin, you know what this strip is, right? 
it's been around for like yeah. decades. Oh yeah, yeah. Bill Bill Keen was the original cartoonist who created it, but it's the if you ever read the newspaper, the comic strips in your newspaper, it was the one that was set in a circle. It was like a single panel in the circle, and it was about this like perfect family, and they were always these little one liners of like funny things kids say kind of thing. So his book is a is a play on on that perfect middle class white suburban family. Uh, the father of his book is basically like. Keen. I mean, it's like a version of him. It's, it's yep. he's a cartoonist who creates a strip like that. Mm-hmm. He presents his family, he puts his family in the strip, and they're this perfect version of his family. Right. Um, but the actual reality that Ben tells in his book is that they're far from it. It's like this nightmare show of a family, and the parents hate each other, and they ultimately get divorced, and the kids are thrown in the middle, and the kids are split up, and it's just this terrible, horrible situation. So it's like peeling back this the surface, the veneer of like perfection that that people want that people present to the world and right. sort of showing that seedy underbelly of of middle class white america <laughs> um but it's, it's it's a it's it's a really good book and it's uh you know it's if you read any reviews about it it's called you know dark and unsavory and um it's it's for a for a first book it's you know, he's making quite a splash so we talk a bit about that um, we talk about, you know, where he came from before this um, and uh, where he's going to next. And, um, yeah, it was a great talk. But before we get into it, we should say that we have a copy of the book that we want to give away to one of you. Woo-hoo. Justin, what, what should we tell him to do? We haven't really thought about I don't, I don't about even this. know what to do. Maybe. I know. This is like uncharted territory for us. Maybe take, I don't know. I don't know if people will do this, but it'd be fun if they took a selfie pretending to be a white middle-class America family. That's, that's just taking a selfie, really, yeah. I think, with <laughs> well, our listeners. Well, maybe all of our listeners aren't white middle-class Americans. You never know. <laughs> Possible. Um, I don't know, man. Here, Here's what you need to do. The way to l- enter, and if you do this, because we're also going to put up uh, a link on our Facebook, mm-hmm. and I'll link to a, a way to enter from the Geek Dad page. But those will only get you one entry. If you do this right now, what I'm about to tell you, because you listen to the episode <laughs> and you're going to go the extra mile, I will give you not one entry, not two entries, but you will get three entries. You will what? triple your chances to win this book. If you draw a cartoon in the style of the family circus, so it's got to be a circle and it's got to be me and Justin as the subject of that cartoon. Yes. It can be funny, it can be sad, it can be whatever you want it to be, but you've got to draw a family circus-style comic with me and Justin. Okay, that sounds awesome. And if you do that, I don't care how you send it to us. You can email it to us, you can tweet it at us, you can put it on our Facebook. Yep. Um, just get it in front of our eyes, and you will get three entries to win that book. And we'll probably run this for about a week, week and a half. Oh, that sounds awesome. I hope somebody does it. I really hope so. <laughs> if you do do it, you are awesome. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go and we're going to play that interview for you right now. Well, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Sure. Um, and congratulations on the fun family. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's your first book, yes? You're right, yeah. Uh, it just came out this summer, and um, I know you've been getting doing a lot of press for it, getting all the reviews have been starting to roll in. Is this the way that you always thought that you'd burst onto the publishing scene? Uh, yeah, I mean, I always wanted my first big thing to be a a graphic novel, I guess. 
Uh, I've, you know, I've done short stories for anthologies and, and stuff like that before, but, um, you know, I, I feel pretty strongly that this is my first actual statement, I guess. Yeah. Um, in those reviews and in my re- my reading of the book, uh, I really enjoyed it, by the way. Um, one of the things that keeps coming up is that it's routinely described as, you know, quote unquote, dark. And the story reveals this unsavory side or seedy underbelly of the American family. Is that how you would describe it also? Um, yeah, a certain amount of that is just marketing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like, because it's really hard in a lot of ways, uh, it's a little bit hard to describe because dark, I think, implies um, something that's like physically or um, it implies a certain grittiness mm-hmm. to the story, which I actually don't think is very accurate. The story is not gritty at all, um, but it is psychologically dark, I think. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it goes in just based on, you know, if you were to pick up the book based on the cover or the artistic style, it goes in a, a unexpected direction rather quickly. Um, so, I mean, I think dark is a good word, but I don't know if I would really, you know, like this, the whole, the seedy underbelly thing. I'm not sure that I would use those terms to describe it. So, um, and I know that, you know, creators, you guys are often very, very a lot closer to it. And I was just wondering if that's how you saw it, whether you saw it as sort of subverting this the the ideal suburban American family or whether you saw it as something else. I mean, I, I think I do. Um, but I, I know it gets so complicated because it's like, it ultimately doesn't really matter what I think. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, the, uh, you know, we, we have to communicate like what the book is about to people, I guess. Sure. Um, and and someone and sometimes there's like no perfect way to do that. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned the the artistic the style. That's one of the things that's so striking about the book is this juxtaposition of this serious story with this bright, colorful art, and you know, for lack of a better term, these cartoony character designs. How intentional was that contrast when you were creating the book? It's completely intentional. That's um, not. The, the style that the fun family is drawn in is not my natural drawing style. Oh, interesting. Um, my natural drawing style is much more sort of elongated and flowy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in school I had done a lot of work, um, sort of appropriating styles, I guess, mm-hmm. as, as sort of an academic exercise. Like I did a cubist comic and I, done stuff and like, like Greek pottery and, Mm -hmm. uh, and those experiments while not super successful as stories, I think they, um, they taught me a lot about like, I don't have to draw in a certain way to be, uh, and that in fact, a story can be much stronger if you let the, um, the style and the story influence one another. Yeah. Um, for, for me, it's very important that the style really correspond with the story. It's sort of like, and it's so limiting. Like if I'm, if I draw like Jim Lee, which I don't, but Mm -hmm. if I, if I drew like Jim Lee and I wanted to draw a story like the fun family, but I felt like I couldn't, you know, I had to draw it in my superhero style. I, I think that that would be very limiting as an artist. Sure. 
the the irony of all this though now is that my natural drawing style is much more resembles the fun family after drawing 230 pages of it (laughs) well since it's not your natural style i mean how long did it take you to find that look when you started out (laughs) pretty quickly actually really yeah the character designs and stuff they came pretty fast i was looking through one of my old sketchbooks um uh, somebody, somebody asked, uh, if I had like older materials, like process materials to show, um, for the book. And, uh, I was like looking through all my old files on my computer and there just like, aren't that many of them mm-hmm. <laughs> because like, I guess they just came pretty quickly. Um, that's, that said, if you look at the way the story was drawn when I first started it and the way the final book looks, there is a pretty big difference to me at least. Um, uh, because like I, I knew what I wanted the style to look like, but I didn't quite feel it, I guess, until later on in the process. I, I drew the entire book first. I penciled the entire book before I touched the inks or anything else. Um, which was in retrospect, a really good decision. Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, the, the stuff that I drew on page 10, um, was much less, uh, congealed, I guess, stylistically. It didn't, it didn't work as well as the stuff on page 200. Um, and so then when I started inking everything, I was able to go back and correct, uh, all the things that didn't quite match up with the end of the book. Hmm. Um, and so it, it became much more consistent. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, I mean, this is your first book, but you mentioned that you've done you've sort of like a personal artistic challenge to yourself that you've tried to work into these different styles and different medium. Um, Is that something that, you know, moving forward that you think that you're going to continue to do? Like every book is going to be a different challenge or every project, whether or not it's a book, is going to be a different challenge with its own unique style. Or do you think that you'll ultimately just sort of say, this is my style. This is the way that my drawing looks. And this is how we're going to I'm just going to stick with this. I mean, I I think it'll change with every project. Maybe not maybe not so explicitly because not every project deserves a style which is directly referential. Right to something that already exists. Right. Um, well, I mean, taking on, I mean, jumping off of that, the book obviously riffs on Family Circus by Bill Keen. Um, and it's one of those comic strip mainstays that's almost universally recognized. And it's, I think it's thanks to the circle that it's in, it's because it's it, when you looked at the comic strip page, it kind of jumped out at you. Why, from your perspective in the fun family, why choose that strip to sort of just upturn and turn on its head? I've always been fascinated by it. Yeah. Um, I don't remember a time when it didn't exist in exactly. my in my in my <laughs> cultural purview, I guess. Like it was always this thing that was in the newspaper that nobody really felt passionately about, I guess. Like it was always it was this thing. And there's a certain comfort to that, I guess, in this thing that has always existed and is completely reliable to be exactly what you expect it to be. Um, and so I always sort of had a fascination with like the kitsch and the um, the idea, the sort of thing. It felt like it had always existed. Um, but then also the the real jumping off point for the comic and what actually for the Fun Family and what actually made the Fun Family 
possible was that there's all these like weird premises in the family circus that aren't really addressed um, in depth. Mm-hmm. And uh, like the the one in the fun family is that, you know, the father in the family circus, he draws a comic strip uh, in the family circus that is also supposed to be the family circus. Mm-hmm. So there's this like meta premise that I find totally irresistible. Yeah. Um, and that, that was really the jumping off point for the comic. And then the rest of it sort of built itself up around that. Um, it's, it's not so much, a like, a you know, some people, I think a lot of people assume it's sort of a light spoof or something, but it's really using, I think the, the premise of the family circus to tell an original story. Right. This might seem tangential for a second, but have you seen the Doug Lyman film Go? No, I haven't. It's 98, 99. It was uh, was very much a product of its time. It's uh, very much a 90s film. But whenever I think of the family circus, I think of this scene. Um, It's between Katie Holmes and Timothy Oliphant. And they're just having like breakfast in a diner. It was after, after this terrible, horrible night. But they're just there. He's complaining about family circus and how you know you're you're sitting there enjoying your breakfast and you're reading your two-page comic strip spread in the newspaper and family circus is just there in the corner waiting to suck is what he says and the line from the movie that sticks with me is that um you know katie holmes asks uh, all the fans character why don't you just not read it and he just looks at her and he says i hate it yet i'm uncontrollably drawn to it and I think that sums up so many people's relationship with this strip um, that it's this it was this circular comic strip that everybody knew and everybody kind of acknowledged that it was this saccharinely sweet thing that wasn't always funny and wasn't always realistic. But and, and so bringing it back to you, though, I'm wondering, like, why do you think that that strip has lasted so long and and is still sort of part of that comic strip culture. I mean, it's still very much a mainstay. Um, part of it, I think is just inertia. Yeah. Like it's been around forever. I think, you know, Nancy is still running. Yeah. Um, uh, and there's all these, you know, like gasoline alley or something is still running too. I don't, I don't even know, but, um, beetle Bailey is still around too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) But, uh, I don't know. It's extremely reliable. It's extremely consistent. It's iconic. The, the circular panel, I think is actually a very powerful, um, aesthetic device Mm -hmm. and, and something that's hard to, uh, appropriate as I learned because composing, I've spoken some, in some other interviews about like how hard it is to compose a circular panel. Oh, I'll bet. Um, but I actually also think that there is, like um, Linda Berry has been telling this story a lot lately about how like the family circus sort of saved her life and that, uh, you know, it was her way of like understanding that a family didn't have to be totally fucked up and dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess I don't, I don't want to say that it's like completely culturally worthless because you know, people find value in that. And there's a, there's a place for that sort of thing too. Um, but, but I think that, you know, the main reason it's lasted so long is because it's completely inoffensive. It's, um, it's, uh, and it's reliable. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you know what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, what were some of the comics, you know, when you were growing up, what were some of the comics that you would go to first? What were your favorites? Um, when I was much, much younger, uh, when I like first was exposed, I read mostly newspaper comic strips. Like I, I really liked Garfield for some reason. And then, um, uh, got into Calvin and Hobbes and that was like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> this uh, is what comics can be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, those were, I mean, those Calvin and Hobbes is still incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, and then when I started getting into like, n- like narrative, uh, comics, I was in high school and stuff. I was reading, um, the Sandman, mm-hmm. which is still one of my favorite book series. And I've been talking about a lot. Um, and that's really the series that made me want to do comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also reading a lot of manga, a lot of really bad manga, um, that, you know, I couldn't tell you a thing about, Yeah. Uh, but like at the time we were just all, it, it was so fresh, you know, it felt so different. Um, and, and also a lot of the like slave labor graphics type type stuff, the, um, you know, Johnny Hong Subtle Maniac and, yeah. and all that, and all that stuff definitely had a, had an influence on me. Um, I think the manga stuff, especially in, in how I, I pace my comics and, um, in the book, the fun family, there's like rarely more than five panels per page. Mm-hmm. Uh, occasionally there's six and then maybe there's one or two pages with seven. But, mm-hmm. um, it's like, I like, one thing I really like about manga is the, the pacing and how, there's so much room for, uh, emotion, I guess. Yeah. When you pace it that way. Cause you get all these like big close-ups, and, um, I don't know. I've always responded really well to that. And I think that that's a big influence, you know, and then a little later on, I, you know, fell into the sort of indie comics scene, which is, um, sort of, I guess where I, I don't know, I guess I'm categorized now. Yeah. Do you, um, do you still read? I mean, are there, are there books out there monthly or otherwise that, you know, you, you really look forward to or creators that you really admire? Um, I, my, my media consumption habits these days is pretty varied. Mm -hmm. Uh, I read, I read comics. I, but I also like, I watch a lot of TV. Um, I think TV is the most interesting sort of continuous storytelling art form Mm -hmm. right now. Um, currently totally obsessed with the Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that show is just, just incredible. Um, uh, but, um, but yeah, you know, I've been reading saga like everyone else. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, I came to that. I came to that a little bit late and I'd actually just read it recently, but I binged right through, I just blew right through the entire thing. And I don't know, I'm caught up now and it's, I don't know why it took me so long. Cause it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's so it's so fun and it knows, it knows what it is and uh-huh. what it's trying to do and executes on that very, very well. Yeah. Um, I've been really enjoying that. Yeah. So the fun family though, I mean, how looking back, I mean, how did the story really come to form itself? Like what, what planted the seeds for you? Um, hmm, I guess I was, well, the, the one, the thing that made me start thinking about like a, a take on the family circus was when they announced that they were going to, they had optioned the rights to a live action family circus movie. Um, that, which was like way back, I think 2010 or 2011 or something. And, um, 
you know, they never, and they never end up doing anything with that. I checked recently. Um, so I'm like, I wonder what, whatever happened to that. And last, last I saw anything was like 2013, but, um, when they announced that, you know, people were chatting about it online and I was like, Oh, what would, you know, what would my version of, of that be? Um, and you know, I wrote something down and then I think I deleted it. And then, you know, maybe, maybe a month later or something, I was like, that was kind of an interesting idea. I should maybe try and, sure, you know, try and explore that a little bit more. Um, and then I ended up writing it down, and it changed and evolved in a few ways. But um, I mean, that was the that was the core of it. Reading the book, it's hard not to see it as a personal story. Um, and I know you've said that it's not autobiographical, but are there any autobiographical elements within it, or is it completely one hundred percent just sort of fiction? I mean, I used to be the type of person who'd say, oh, there's nothing autobiographical in this, that, you know, my art is completely separate yeah. <laughs> from uh, from me. And I think that that was like this um, defensive reaction against a lot of the books that I grew up reading, which I found oftentimes wanting, were like um, these like very confessional autobiographical comics, mm-hmm. you know, that that were also the types of comics that were at the time, and I guess they still do get quite a lot of attention. Um, and I think part of that was reaction against that. Um, but, you know, when you're actually faced with drawing or writing a, a really long story, um, you can't help but put yourself into it. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even a, it's not even a choice like it happens. It's like, you're either going to deny it or you're going to embrace it. And the biggest difference between the first draft of the story and the second draft of the story was that, um, I allowed myself to like put myself into it more and to let it, you know, let myself get a little bit uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. um, with some of the things that were going on. Uh, and, um, it, yeah. it, a lot of um, what I find interesting is, you know, we've talked to a lot of uh, comic book creators, graphic novel creators, and a lot of the independent books that are not, you know, your your run of the mill superhero books. Many of their early books or their debut books, they're very autobiographical. You know, they they put a lot of themselves into it. I mean, Jeffrey Brown is notorious for doing that. You know, before he sort of went into the Star Wars direction, he a lot of his early books were just his life and his life as a father and his life with, you know, day to day dating kind of things. Um, And you're saying, though, that, you know, for you, putting too much of yourself on the page is uncomfortable. And I'm wondering... um, why that is and not not why you're uncomfortable but why some people choose to just put everything of themselves out there and that's their art and yet there are other people who say you know my art is completely separate and i'm not going to put any of myself out there uh, part of it is just because i i'm more of a private person i guess sure. but but also i think the biggest reason is because my life is not interesting <laughs> like most and most cartoonist lives lives are not interesting. Like yeah. it's just a, it's a hazard of the job. Uh, and that's, that's okay. Like you don't have to, um, you know, and I, I, I don't believe that there's any like inherent value in, you know, confession for confession's sake. Uh, 
-hmm. like a story principally it needs to be interesting it needs to have um you know it has it has to interest the reader in some way uh and i think you know if you're drawing you know journal comics um about your your interesting life then great that's awesome um did you you know live through the iranian revolution for example <laughs> sure great yeah um, but but you know it's like you have to be like extremely gifted at um sort of nuanced detail to make this sort of day-to-day -day life of of somebody who's sitting at a desk most of the time mm -hmm. um really interesting and it's possible um but you know it's not what i've ever been in it's just not what i've been interested in doing i guess yeah, yeah. Uh, i like you know I, I think there's a lot of one of the nice things about comics is that um there's a lot of room for sort of slice of life sort of small stories mm -hmm. um and which is something the medium does very well but it's also something that i'm just not that interested in yeah uh like i like i like stories about big ideas and um I know it's big stuff. It well, then that's that's interesting because one of the uh, the I, I thought one of the funniest and most telling lines in the book was when the father, you know, when when the son starts taking over the business and starts writing the strips, and he asks for advice, and his dad says, "Comic, it's just it's all schlock." And so, I mean, how much of how much of that is truth? How much of it really is just all schlock? Well, we all think that it's schlock some of the time, <laughs> uh, and then you know, it's like it's like the day to day slog where it's like one day I'll think that I'm a genius. And then the next day I'm just like, I am a total fraud. I have <laughs> no idea what I'm doing. This book is trash. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and to an extent it's just like doing it. Like you sort yeah. of have to force yourself to do it because you can't really know whether it's trash or not until you have, until you have something in your hand that you can read. Exactly. Um, like page, really page to page, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, one, one more mention of Family Circus is, you know, I remember so clearly the strips where um, Keen would draw them like it was one of the children in the family drawing the strip, which is exactly what you do in this book, um, that the, kid, the kids had taken over the strip. Um and I don't, after reading your book, I don't think that I'll be able to look back at Family Circus and especially those strips that were meant to be cute and, you know, the world through these kids view. I'm not going to see it in quite the same way because I'm going to be thinking like, well, what's the story behind this? Like, why is this happening? How much of a goal was that for you when you were writing the book to, to make people think about these seemingly harmless comics, whether it's Family Circus or something else from a completely different perspective? I'd say that's actually not a, a huge goal or that's just not, you know, if you come away with that, I think yeah. that that's, that's great. Uh -huh. Um, but I, it's not something that I was so much thinking about, uh, when I was doing it for me, it was much more about like this, I guess, this character study about this family or, or whatever. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think that there's, one of the one of the main ideas that I was thinking about from the very beginning was about nostalgia um, and how like nostalgia oftentimes is hides something very, very dark. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe there's a, there's a part of that there. But, uh, you know, and it's a little bit about how, you know, we 
perform the best versions of our lives in front of other people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a mistake to assume that that's what, you know, everybody's life is actually like. Yeah. Um, You know, and I think, you know, the modern version of that is, you know, social media and Facebook or whatever. Um, And it's not, that's not an inherently bad or, uh, dangerous thing. But when we start sort of romanticizing, uh, you know, things that didn't ever really exist, mm-hmm. um, we're setting ourselves up for, uh, to be disappointed. You know? yeah. That's what nostalgia is though, right? It's a romanticization, romanticization. I don't know if that's a word, but it's romanticizing this past that probably never existed to begin with. I I think that maybe there's an element of nostalgia, which is like, you can be nostalgic for something for a good, good reason, Mm -hmm. I think, because something was really cool. Like, people are nostalgic for the 80s right now, because they grew up with it. Mm -hmm. And they have an idealized view of what the world was like when they were children. Um, And some of that might be dark, because there were a lot of things that were happening in the 80s. um, That you know, that when you're a child, you don't really notice like the AIDS crisis. Right. Um, but at the same time, people are nostalgic about things that were cool. Um, you know, and I, I think it's, it's very two sided. Like, I think the labyrinth is a fantastic movie. Like, I, I agree have, with you. <laughs> uh, I, I have a, a lot of nostalgia for that movie. Um, and I don't think I'm, I don't think there's anything wrong or immoral. Yeah. You know, about that. Yeah, no, I agree. How did the book end up with Top Shelf? Um, very easily. <laughs> uh, Chris, you know, he saw the first like four pages that I did and I sort of pitched it to him with those four pages and he liked it. And um, uh, I sent him, you know, 30 more just penciled lettered pages and he was like, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, That's amazing. You hear yeah. stories like that and it sounds like, oh, it's easy. Anybody can do it. But they don't realize the work that went into it, you know, before that point. Yeah, he had no Chris. Chris Starves was the editor of, yeah. of Top Shelf. He um, he knew of my work before yeah. before that. We had met a, a couple of times. Yeah, that's um, fa- it's fantastic. That's fantastic. So, you know, now that the fun family's out and um, it's been getting some some really great reviews. What's next for you? Um. I don't know. I've got a lot of very different stuff coming up. Um, I'm going to be continuing to sort of promote the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, of course I've got, um, some small little things, uh, in anthologies. I've got two big ideas for projects. One is about, um, uh, psychic frauds. That Mm is, uh, much, much more, maybe not historical fiction, but, more historical is based on some some real life stuff cool um and then the other is like a a huge adventure story that is probably a terrible idea to pursue (laughs) but it's just like oh there's something about it um huge adventures are never a terrible idea (laughs) well the thing is is like i was trying to think i love um i just watched uh sunset boulevard okay and when i'm watching old movies that are 
like great old movies. I'm always impressed by like the precision of those movies. You know, they're like, there are only as many characters as there needs to be only as many locations as there needs to be, you know, everything sort of fits together like clockwork. And I just don't know how to do a, you know, a giant adventure story that would fit together like clockwork and wrap up and, you know, under 300 pages. Um, that'd be, that's a, that's a real challenge. Um, I'm all, I'm also doing some radio projects. I'm a radio producer, um, as well. Um, and, uh, what kind of, like, like what kind of projects like radio lab type stuff? Well, so, um, if you want to check out sort of the thing that I did most recently, was this really massive, um, sort of radio adaptation of, uh, Jessica Abel's book out on the wire. Okay. Um, which is a, uh, a book about, um, public radio, how radio stories are made. Mm-hmm. Um, Jessica, who's a colleague of mine, um, we, uh, were living in the same city in France for this artist residency. And she came to me cause she knew I had a radio background. It's like, um, you know, I have all these interviews from this book that I, that I'm putting out that I have them all recorded. I don't know what to do with them. Like maybe we should make a podcast. And so we started brainstorming and we came up this, this idea for the out on the wire podcast, which sort of takes, um, the recorded interviews that she does, that she did for this, this book, and then sort of arranges them in a way. Um, well, it's really, uh, how to describe it. Um, sort of makes a story out of learning to tell stories. Okay. No, I get it. Like it's like every episode is about one stage of learning how to tell a story from sort of idea to, um, testing your ideas to research, to writing and and all that. That sounds amazing. Um, It's called out on a wire, out on the wire, out on the wire. And the show's done. Um, we did, I think 17 episodes total and half of them are like very, very scripted produced, um, uh, public radio style episodes that are very informational and use these interviews, which were totally exclusive interviews with people like Ira Glass and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, uh, about sort of how to tell a story. And then the second, then the other half were much like more round table episodes where we um, helped listeners sort of workshop their own stories based on what we were talking about in the, in the episodes previous. Um, and so that, that was the last big thing that I did. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, you can, and you can I, find it on iTunes. I am looking at it right now. I'm going to go subscribe and check them all out and we'll link to it when this episode goes up too. So other people can check it out. Cause this sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we're we're both really really proud of it, and Jessica was um, fantastic to work yeah. with. Jessica is the author of La Perdita and um, drawing words and writing pictures. Okay, um, super fantastic author. Amazing! This is awesome. Um, the Fun Family out with Top Shelf, Benjamin Fresh. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. I. Uh, I read the book in one go, couldn't put it down, and it, uh, you know, all the good reviews that you've been getting are absolutely earned. So, uh, congratulations, and I'm really looking forward to what you've got coming next. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. 
And Jamie, on our cameras, you just completely went out of focus. <laughs> I did what now? You went completely out of focus. <laughs> oh my gosh, my camera is out of focus. I don't know what's going on. Ooh, there, there we go. go. Okay, that has nothing to do with the show, but that was cool. <laughs> so if you uh, are wondering how to be, like if you just are listening to this on Geek Dad and every week that you come, I can't imagine you are, but maybe you're just hitting play on the page. You can subscribe to our podcast and get every show every week so you don't have to keep coming back. I mean, keep coming back. By all means, keep coming back. But if you want it delivered right to your phone, we, we are in the Google Play Store and we're in the iTunes Store. And, and Stitcher. And Stitcher. And there's a lot of ways to go. Or you can just download yeah. it directly off Geek Dad. Yeah, or any any app that you have that connects to one of those. So I use mm-hmm. Downcast on my phone, but it connects, I think, connects to iTunes. So if it's right. there, you can just search for it and subscribe to it through that app. And we would love to have an iTunes review. If you, if you like it, if you hate it, if you are impartial to it, let us know in the review. That way we can know what's going on and if we're doing our shows good for our listeners. I would love a review that just says I'm impartial to this show. Yeah. <laughs> I listen to the show and I don't hate it, but it's not, it's not good. It's just... I listen to the show and I don't hate it. That's yeah. like perfect. I love it. <laughs> That'd be a great review. So <laughs> leave one of those reviews that helps us climb the ranks. If there, if we ever will climb the ranks, that will be how we will do it. And that's up to you, the listener. Do it. <laughs> All right. You can find us on Twitter at the GBB podcast, facebook.com slash GBB podcast on Facebook. We're constantly sharing really cool things that we think you'll find interesting. So come, it's not just about the podcast. So you know, cool geek things we share on there. And remember, if you want a copy of the of the Fun the Family yep. by Ben Frisch, draw that cartoon, draw that cartoon. in a circle, and Justin yeah. doing something funny or not. <laughs> I don't care what we're doing. Maybe something. Just you know. Make it PG thirteen. Let's yeah. not go overboard. Yeah, let's say that. yeah. <laughs> it can be apathetic. It can be you know whatever. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> That'd be a good review. I'm apathetic to this podcast. I'm apathetic. All right. I just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. You can find me on Twitter at 140JustinC. And I am at the Roarbots. And we will see you next week. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad. <laughs>